Welcome to the Capital Integrative Health Podcast, a podcast dedicated to transforming the consciousness around what it means to be healthy and understanding the root causes of both disease and wellness. I am Dr. Andrew Wong, co-founder of Capital Integrative Health, an integrative practice committed to expanding access to holistic root cause medicine to the global community. We are excited today to be joined by Araceli Benavides, one of our amazing functional and integrative nutritionists here at Capital Integrative Health. Araceli works with patients to create evidence-based functional medicine treatment plans to address the root cause of conditions, including IBS, SIBO, and many other conditions. Today, we're gonna help you better understand the gut-brain connection and how stress directly impacts our digestion and microbiome. This is a conversation with any, for anyone struggling with gut issues who would like to make sustainable changes to improve th- their digestion. Welcome, Araceli. Thank you so much, Dr. Wong, for the invite. I'm very excited to be able to talk to you all about um, a little bit of my background and also how we work with patients and gut issues. Yes, great to have you on the podcast here. And uh, first of all, just tell us how you got started in nutrition while living in Peru. Yes. So I actually have a long um, history with nutrition. I had a nutritionist myself when I was six years old. So I was struggling with some um, heart conditions that I was able to manage just through nutrition and um, lifestyle changes and didn't have to go through surgery or anything. So that really got me very interested in like root causes of different conditions and how to manage that with nutrition and um, natural medicine. So it's wow. been a while. That's really started in your childhood then. Yes, it's been a long time. Yes, that's, that's amazing that you were able to treat those heart conditions with nutrition and lifestyle and, and avoid surgery. That's, that's so amazing. Yes. And what made you interested in functional medicine? Well, then I was trying to combine um, nutrition with other like natural interventions. And it was then when I found the um, master's in integrative medicine at Georgetown. And then I found Dr. Wong. (laughs) (laughs) I was so lucky. I learned about functional medicine that really combined a lot of like nutrition, lifestyle and looking at the root causes through functional medicine. So I actually learned it there through the master's and was able to join the IFM as well for that. And the rest is history, and certainly we're very lucky. I feel very lucky to have met you at Georgetown. <laughs> yes. And um, we have been working together for about two years now, uh, which is amazing. It's been an amazing journey here. And could you share with us how you started working at Capital Integrative Health and what you're doing now? Yes. So actually, um, after the master's, I started here my practicum. So I stayed here during the summer, and I was a so a clinical assistant first and helping you, Dr. Wang, with a lot of the visits so and also doing a lot of the um, testing, like the brain scans and the vital scans. And uh, we included the stomach acid or cyto, so different um, procedures that we do here in the clinic. So I was learning about all, them all and just helping um, like with describing and other things throughout the visits, which helped me to learn um, so much from other practitioners. So that was great. And then I transitioned to actually start to see patients and um, do functional nutrition in the clinic and working with a lot of patients that struggle with like gut issues and many other things. As well. And we know that the gut really is the gateway to many other organ systems and, and also imbalances in the body. So how has your experience been with working with the gut issues, but also how that's translated to other issues that patients have had? Yes, yeah, so we try to start with the gut first because we know how the gut microbiome is being affecting many other things like the immune system, brain health, um, hormone balance, so and even detox. Right now we see a lot of patients being affected by 
um, toxins, but we always want to make sure the gut is healthy so that you can continue with other treatments regarding hormones or detox or anything else that the uh, patients need to work on. And even Hippocrates, one of the founders of Western medicine, said, to paraphrase him, he said that the gut is the foundation of both illness and wellness. Right. So I think this is where functional medicine also kind of comes in and focuses a lot on the gut as one of the first initial evaluation treatments. True. It's so important. Yes. Um, now, so many are struggling with digestive issues from bloating and gas to loose stool and constipation. So many, many issues that kind of get lumped up into into what's called IBS or, or irritable, irritable bowel syndrome. And it's estimated that at least 12% of the population, which I think is an underestimation really, but has IBS. How often do you see patients with gut issues in general in your practice? <laughs> right. So here at CIH, we really see patients struggling with some sort of like gut imbalances every day. And this is something very common to see and that we need to um, address since the beginning. So, yeah, I would say something we see every day. 100% or 100% yes. all the time. And uh, now that we're talking about kind of the gut-brain connection and how stress directly affects our digestion and gut health, how often do you find that stress is a contributor to poor digestion? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we see that all the time. So that's a really important topic since um, we had a, we have a lot of experience with patients that we treat certain um imbalances, like for example, certain infections like candida or SIBO or H. pylori, but then um, they don't get better or they get these infections back. And a lot of the times it's just stress affecting either motility, affecting um, digestive output that will touch more about stomach acid, digestive enzymes, and also motility can be affected by stress. So if all of these things are being impaired, it's very hard to get rid of any infection or anything that is causing the um, gut imbalance to begin with. So great. Let's get into the specifics on a stressed gut and what that means physiologically and what are those physiological consequences of stress on the gut. So what is the difference between eating while stressed versus eating while relaxed? I think that's a very foundational question, but it's one that's so important because we all kind of know we've all done this before. We've all been in that situation. We've been kind of eating on the run or eating mm -hmm. while stressed. So, you know, what is that difference? Uh, how does that kind of manifest physiologically there? Yes, yeah, so that's very common to see nowadays, people trying to multitask and just eat while doing something else or in front of screens. So basically when our body is stressed, we have a dom sympathetic dominance. So that means um, in the past we will be like running away from a tiger or just having to fight against something and our body's gonna prioritize our vital organs. So brain, heart, lungs, and just like getting the um, uh, blood flowing and just um, helping us to fight or flight. Um, in this case, the digestion is not going to be prioritized, so we're not going to be secreting a lot of uh, stomach acid, a lot of digestive enzymes, our motility is not going to be as fat, fast because we, of course, don't want to be um, necessarily digesting when we're like in that amount of stress. So on the other hand, when we do take a deep breath and we're like relaxed and ready to eat, if we're eating mindfully, um, taking all of our senses to our food and everything, uh, we do secrete more stomach acid, digestive enzymes, our motility works better. So we're going to have like a more successful digestion and we're not going to have like big pieces of uh, food lingering in our small, intest small intestine that it can lead to bacterial overgrowth and many things. So it's definitely um, a complex <laughs> situation. Yes. So. 
And it sounds like what you had said, to paraphrase what you said, that stress affects blood flow Mm -hmm. and that the blood flow going to the brain, to the other vital organs, to the heart, to the muscles, to the lungs, is taking away blood flow from the gut, which is the main digestive organs. Mm -hmm. Um, And when this happens, then there's not enough blood flow and not enough sort of energy going to those organs to produce the digestive enzyme, the stomach acid and things like that. Why is stomach acid so important? We talk about stomach acid a lot in our clinic and how stomach acid helps digest the, the food, but why is it so important? Um, is, are, do people have too little stomach acid or too much? Or, you mm-hmm. know, I think, you know, we know that from people going to the, the doctors that may, maybe put them on anti-acid medications because they feel like they have too much and maybe just talking to that a bit. Yes. So digestion definitely starts in our mouth, but we digest a little bit carbohydrates in our mouth. But then um, where it really starts is in the stomach. So we start to break down protein thanks to um, stomach acid. It activates the enzyme that we need to break down protein. And we know protein is so important for the amino acids to make neurotransmitters and to make, well, protein in general, we know it's so important in our body. So we need to break, uh, we need the stomach acid to break down protein. And we also need the stomach acid to protect us. That's sort of like one of our lines of barrier to make sure that we, if we're getting any like bacteria coming in through our mouth, we know our mouth has a lot of bacteria, which is normal. Uh, But when we swallow all of that, we definitely want to make sure we have enough stomach acid to control that and make sure we're not getting a lot of uh, bacteria further down that we don't necessarily want. Got it. So the other thing, since we're recording this during the time of COVID, is that there's a lot of talk now about vaccines and antibodies and are people producing enough antibodies to the vaccine? So antibodies are really immunoglobulins. So if you think about it that way, we need protein, we need adequate protein to make those antibodies. Mm-hmm. Yes. And to help our immune system. That's a very good point. And also the amount of um, stomach acid, like um, that mixture of the food with the, with the acid, once it goes to a small in- our small intestine, if it is like acidic enough, it's going to stimulate more digestive enzymes. So it's going to help the rest of the digestion, like downstream, that is mm-hmm. also important for the uh, breakdown of other nutrients and absorption of them to make sure. Now, how common do you find that it is in, in the practice that you see, you know, with patients uh, that you see, is stomach acid being low? How common is that? That is really common. So we do have a stomach acid test here in the office. We use the Hadleberg test. And most of the times we see patients with low stomach acid. We rarely have seen like just like probably one or two cases with like high stomach acid. But we do see patients with reflux or GERD, heartburn, um, coming with low stomach acid. And that um, the most likely because the upper well, lower esophageal sphincter um, relaxes when there's not enough like stomach acid. So then if you lay down, you can get the, that acid coming up and causing the sensation of like reflux or heartburn, even when you have low stomach acid. So this traditional idea that reflux and heartburn is related to too much stomach acid might be erroneous, actually. Because I think if what you said, you know, it makes sense physiologically, if there's low stomach acid, you're opening up that lower esophageal sphincter. So someone might not have enough stomach acid in the stomach, but there might be too much stomach acid in the esophagus related to that LES. Totally. That's that's great. That's a great point. Uh, stomach acid also, as you said, is affected by stress. So if there's low stomach acid and it's very prevalent in the population 
and the most common cause of low stomach acid is chronic stress, mm -hmm. then what is the root cause there? We have to look at that stress again and how that affects that stomach acid. Yes, we definitely want to work on balancing the nervous system to make sure mm -hmm. we optimize our stomach acid production. So in a way, it's not only what we're eating, but how we're eating, who we're eating it with, even why we're eating. Yes. All of these factors. Um, and what is the context of food and you know how is food nourishing us? I think these are all questions um, that maybe we don't really think about so much. We always think about, or a lot of times we think about, what are we going to eat? What's our diet plan like? You know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Yes. So definitely taking more like mindfulness mm -hmm. into consideration around food. How, how does how does stress affect even the concept of diets and of the idea of you know following a diet plan? Uh, in other words, if someone's if you if you give someone a nutrition plan and they're under a lot of stress. Yeah, how does that interact uh, in terms mm -hmm. of their ability, success rate to you know follow yes. that? It definitely makes it harder for compliance. And nowadays we're all very like stressed or having like mm -hmm. um, lives that imply a lot of like uh, timing, and we don't have a lot of time to dedicate to like cooking and planning ahead of time. So we do need to take into consideration giving like easy options, things that you can do fast. Thankfully, a lot of things with like. Uh, veggies um, can be like fresh vegetables you can do them fast but yeah so like stress we definitely need to know that it is very important to take some time to plan ahead for our meals and that is what's gonna make us keep on going so we need to spend some time on that for sure so when someone is stressed uh what should they eat uh, this is maybe not a a very specific question but uh what do you recommend people eat when they're stressed and nutritionally so more like adrenal like situation um, or just I, I suppose just uh, let's say someone's stressed and tired yeah it could be adrenal what, what do you typically say to people yeah so we definitely want to make sure we have enough uh, protein in the diet to make sure um, things are like working properly so um, easy things that that you could do like even if it's like things related to chickpeas and like hummus can be something like patients are like a to go um, a go to but yes, it can also be like fresh vegetables, any other sort of like seafood or really like healthy fats are also really important. So like nuts or avocados or just like very like independent on like if there are any like gut issues that we need to take into consideration, um, things like that. Okay, I'll get back to the stress and sugar connection in a little bit. Yes. <laughs> um, let's go. Uh, still go into the deep dive on the physiology here. So how does stress impact the presence of the microbiome, meaning the good bacteria, the bad bacteria? How does that, how does that work? Uh, does stress affect the, the, the different bacteria in the gut? Yes. Yeah, so stress can also affect um, the gut microbiome, and it can also affect what is really uh, popular right now, leaky gut. It can also help, uh, affect the permeability of the gut. Um, so we we could um, see that because the stomach acid is being affected, the digestive enzymes are being affected, um, it is most likely that we're going to have like undigested food and that's going to affect the replication and overgrowth of um, non quote unquote like bad bacteria or like infections in our gut. And also stress is going to reduce the, our immune system. So it's going to reduce the, our ability to fight off the bad bacteria. So that can make the bad bacteria more like uh, prevalent. And that, of course, affects um, good bacteria as well to be lower. So stress will affect both uh, low stomach acid, low digestive enzymes, even low secretary IgA, which is that mucosal immunoglobulin. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then can cause leaky gut. So in a way, 
it really affects all of digestion in mm-hmm. a way. Yes. <laughs> yes. No matter what you're eating, if you're stressed, that might affect what you're actually taking in. Exactly. Wow. That's so incredible. That's that's so profound because, again, looking at what we're eating, but then how we're eating it, what is the context and how mm-hmm. are we eating related to, you know, screens and running around? Or are we eating kind of sitting out in nature and with people that we love and things like that? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Super important. Um, and then what is the... Um, what is the relationship between stress and inflammation? Because I know that inflammation can affect leaky gut and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, well, you can probably talk more about that than me, Dr. Owen. You're very, very good with, like, the um, inflammatory cytokines and everything. But, yes, when we're stressed, we will be, like, more prone to inflammation. And as you mentioned with, like, sugar, uh, when we're stressed, we tend to go more for, like, sweet things and just, like, comfort foods and um that's what our body is sort of like trying to get to increase serotonin and makes us make us feel good. Uh, but we, when we go for those food choices, that's definitely not going to help our inflammatory, like inflammation, like overall in our body. So why, when, why do we go? That's, I mean, I find that to be true as well. Um, when we're stressed, we go for these really quick energy food choices, maybe high carbs or sugar, something that tastes really good to us. Why do we do that? And um, that's just always a, a $64,000 question, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's really tricky. I actually was uh, reading this book, The Four Day Win, trying to understand more like the psychology behind eating. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's definitely like trying to get that boost of like serotonin or like um, basically like serotonin or like um, hormones that are going to make us like feel good. But it's like a short term and then you're probably not, not going to keep that um, sensation for long. But um, yeah, we, we know like there's different like hormone imbalances that can lead us to that. Um, do you have anything? Yeah. So it sounds like stress, um, in the setting of, you know, chronic stress or acute stress even might lower the serotonin level and a higher carb diet will increase that serotonin. We do see often people premenstrually as well when the estrogen, estrogen drops, the serotonin yes. drops, and then people crave chocolate, chocolate. or other, you know, uh, chocolate herbal pretzels, I don't know, you know, yes. some sugary foods, and that's going to help their energy short term, but then long term, it might cause some yeast overgrowth or mm-hmm. even, you know, SIBO or different things like that. Right, and spikes in glucose that then will right. end up to um, secreting too much insulin and then a drop in glucose that is going to make you hungry, tired, and probably... Uh, readable as well. So this hypoglycemia, low blood sugar can also be stressful too Mm -hmm. to the gut. And then many people are struggling with constipation or slow motility, not having bowel movement sometimes maybe once a week even. Mm -hmm. This is a major contributor to conditions like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or what's called SIBO. So could you talk a little bit about SIBO, what that is and, and how stress affects motility and SIBO would be great. Yes, so one of the main root causes of SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth is small, uh, slow motility. So we know that slow motility can um, lead to having this um, food that we're trying to digest for too long in our small intestine, and that the small amount of bacteria that we have there start to feed off of that and start um, reproducing and like having too much bacteria there. So when we have too much bacteria there, it's going to ferment our food, produce a lot of gas, and they can produce gas like methane or hydrogen, and that can affect us having diarrhea, constipation, um, gas, bloating, and irregular um, different things, uh, symptoms related to SIBO. So, um, yeah, so that will be 
basically what SIBA is. And the slow motility and the stress, again, because our body is like prioritizing other things and not digestion, our motility is not going to go as fast. But there could be other reasons why we have slow motility, like, for example, low thyroid can also be another factor. Hmm, got it. So it sounds like in order to survive, we do certain things with our body to try to survive, but, mm -hmm. but to really thrive and that would impact gut health we have to learn how to reduce and, or manage stress. Yes, it's so important. So let's take a deep dive into how to manage and reduce stress. So how do we know if, you know, there, there's some monitors, there's some vital scans and different things that we do here in the clinic, but if you're kind of walking in the shopping mall, if you're outside, uh, if you're sitting at work or at home, how do you know if you're in rest and digest versus a fight or flight situation? How yeah. do you know in your body? Well, definitely. Our pulse can be an, um, an indicator. So if you typically check your pulse, if you're having a higher uh, pulse rate or like heart rate, that could be an indicator that you're more towards like um, fight or flight state. And also like blood pressure can come up when we're like on fight or flight and breathing when we're not like when we're breathing very shallow and we're not like deep breathing um and tend to like breathe a little bit faster that can also be an indicator mm -hmm. i agree with that it's probably time to check our pulses <laughs> <laughs> yeah. throughout the day here make sure they're healthy and we know that there's a body mind connection there's this idea that the body and the mind inform each other so let's kind of talk about how the the gut and brain uh, also kind of connect a little bit more with each other mm -hmm. how does how does the gut affect brain function or brain health and how does the brain affect gut health what's the connection there yeah so gut and brain connection is very important so we know there's a, a lot of like um neurons actually in our gut as well and our gut plays a huge role in um, producing neurotransmitters for example they say like even now they say like up to 90 percent of our serotonin can be made in our gut and that of course can affect like our mood and brain health and um, mental health a lot. So it's important to make sure our gut is healthy to to make sure that uh, our neurotransmitters are also in balance. Um, serotonin, dopamine, like can affect focus and um, how we feel. And on the other side, uh, we know that the um, gut can also affect our digestion. So we need um, the vagus nerve to be activated and we know the enteric, enteric nervous system is also very important for the gut. So for those to be um, activated and working and sending the right signals to our gut to um, produce the things that we need for digestion, we need to be relaxed. So everything that we've been talking about, um, trying to basically reduce stress that we'll get into that as well. So in a way, the vagus is kind of like our internet information superhighway that kind of goes back and forth between the gut and brain, yes. brain and gut, and mm -hmm. communicate. So we really talk about mind-body connection and mind-body balance, but in a way, the mind and body are very much the same. They're just different kind of ways to think about it. Uh, the mind has the you know mental mental health uh, thoughts and emotions and feelings and everything have physiologic consequences, and then of course the physiology of the gut will affect the the brain and the mind as well. Yes, it's so interesting to me how a lot of these silos that we've talked about a lot in traditional medicine, like neurology or gastroenterology or cardiology, even you know all these things kind of get kind of. Um, they, they all these kind of artificial distinctions start going away when we realize that all these organs we're talking about the brain the gut and the heart all have neurons and they're all connected. they're all neurocentered mm -hmm. and they're all connected yes mm -hmm. it's amazing 
Um, so we talked about the vagus nerve. How can we support our vagus nerve? How can we support this rest and digest relaxation kind of response so that we can digest our food better, so we can have better health, and so we can go from surviving to thriving? Yes. So there's definitely a few exercises that we can use to stimulate um, the vagus nerve. Everything, when we're like deep breathing, we're going to um, switch from sympathetic nervous system that is fight or flight to parasympathetic nervous system that is rest and digest. So we could do a four, seven, eight breathing. That would be like inhaling for four, holding our breath for seven seconds, and then exhaling for the count of eight. Um, that's a way making sure that you're like extending your belly when you're breathing to make sure uh, that a relaxation response is coming in could be an option. And then we know that in adding the alternated uh, nostril breathing, so um, trying to breathe through one, um, let's say the right nostril in, and then exhaling through the other side, and then inhaling, ex exhaling, and alternating these um, can also help for uh, vagus nerve. There's um, some type of like breathing like that with yoga as well um, that can be really helpful. And other things could be gargling. So vibration um, through the like throat area can like help stimulate the vagus nerve. So gargling like twice per day, the solution it can vary, but as long as that um, sensation of like uh, vibration there, that could be through gargling or can be through humming or chanting. Um, if you're in the car or the shower and no one is listening, you can like chant as, as loud as you can. That can definitely help. Um, or maybe when everyone's listening, if you want to do a concert <laughs> or something. Yes, if you want to do a karaoke, that would That would be a way also, to do it. Yeah, <laughs> fun. Yes. Well, eat some good food with friends and do some karaoke. I think that's a great way to yes. digest that food you just ate, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great yes. combination. And talking about vagus nerve, let's talk about pets. I know you just got a recent uh, pet, so if you could just introduce everyone to the yes. pet yeah, that you just got. Um, I, in May, I adopted Pancho, so he's a rescue dog from Puerto Rico, and he's amazing. Definitely, pets can help with, like, um, reduce stress and just, like, um, they're so great. So they give a lot of, like, support for that. We got some pets during the pandemic, especially these uh, two rabbits that we have. It's really yes. been amazing for, for everyone. And, uh, you know, it does definitely reduce stress, I think, to have some animals around. So if you have animals around, your friends that have animals, good thing to connect with them because you know it's really connecting back to nature and we know that animals are part of nature we're also animals yes and this is kind of what is uh really healing to us um other general tips for stress reduction anything else that you found either yourself personally or professionally with your patients mm -hmm. yes i really like um well meditation in general there's definitely some good applications out there like insight timer mm -hmm. um that have like good either guided meditations or like um, music that you can put in the background because sometimes our minds are very like overactive and we when we s some people find it hard when you sit down like quiet to just like keep the mind off other things and to do's and things that you want to uh, plan ahead for your day so to quiet down the mind there's definitely like uh, background no um, music that you can use with those apps that I really like especially like before bedtime um, I've also done in the past like self-hypnotherapy with videos to try to like um, even relax more profoundly that that's also a good thing. But yeah, I found that to be helpful as well. Yeah. Hypnotherapy, tapping is great. Yes, tapping. Acupuncture, I'm a big fan of as well. Mm -hmm. uh, many things. And we uh, have some of these here in our clinic as well, for sure. Um, how can you support yourself around mealtime to reduce stress? So you're eating a meal, you're trying to relax, but someone's, you know, bugging you or <laughs> <laughs> shouting something at you. Uh, or maybe you're thinking of some things you have to do, you know, those mm -hmm. type of things. But how, how do you support yourself around mealtime? That's a, that's a really great 
yes. topic to talk about. We always discuss with patients trying to uh, make um, meal times like only for that. So try to avoid um, screens at the same time or trying to avoid doing other things while you're eating and just dedicating that time uh, for food. If I always try to do like even like a minute or so of like deep breathing before we start to like reset because if you do like about like five to six cycles of the deep breathing should help you um, change the balance of your nervous system to um, help you be on the parasympathetic side of the rest and digest um, type of things so I know it's not realistic to do like a lot of things during the day while we're trying to get things done so even if it's a minute or two that could definitely make a difference and then it sends your body into this sense of okay this is a sacred space now this is a time that I can have for myself to really nourish my body so we're nourishing our bodies with nutrients with food but we're also nourishing it with that sacred space mm -hmm. you know that mindfulness yes. that we really need, especially nowadays, so much more now, I would say. Mm -hmm. uh, sort of if the default mode is, you know, the mind always being on, we have to do something active like that. Yes, and to... we want to focus on chewing well. Like a lot yes. of the times we don't even think about it. And that's sort of like where everything starts. So if we chew uh, well our food and we're mindful about that can also help the rest of our digestion. How many times should we chew per bite, would you say? <laughs> yes, I know there's some like uh, research out there or somewhere where I read that it ideally should be like 36 times. But I know that um, sometimes when I've tried to do that, it just like it gets to the point that it's depending on what you're eating. I, I wouldn't want to chew hummus 36 <laughs> times. but uh, I know, right? You <laughs> right, know right. It, yeah. So I guess uh, as long as you feel like it is like watery enough and just like um, good to go. <laughs> and I adding that mindfulness and savoring it that savoring that that chewing yes. might allow you to do that too mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. have you heard of the slow food movement i think it originated maybe from italy but this idea that people come together and sort of the antidote to fast food eating and you know eating on the run is this idea that people sit down and they have like a slow food conversations mm -hmm. with friends and family loved ones with your pets yes yeah. <laughs> um yeah i've heard about it but i feel like we don't practice that uh over here a lot like in general in the u.s so we definitely should um take that into consideration yes i i think this whole idea even of the slow food movement this is probably how our ancestors used to eat mm -hmm. most of the time Whereas now, most of the time, we're probably eating fast food, even if we're not eating fast food. Exactly. You know, we're not eating like Burger King or something like that necessarily, <laughs> but we're we're eating fast. And so I wonder if that's also harming our guts, you know, if we do that. Definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. All right. Well, we'll get on to a couple other things, uh, more some personal questions, if that's okay. So yes. do you have a morning routine? If so, what does that look like for you? Yes, I was doing the um, Miracle Morning um, that actually includes a great book. Um, Dr. Moore recommended it to me. So if anyone uh, wants to go ahead and try it, it's definitely really good. Um, you do some like scribing, some silence, some affirmations, visualization, some exercise and reading in the morning. So you don't have, it sounds like a lot and it sounds like it takes hours, but you can actually do uh, for a couple minutes each one and definitely helps. So I was doing that prior to getting Pancho. So now that I have Pancho, <laughs> uh, the routine uh, switched a little bit um, because it includes um, the walk in the morning outside. So he definitely is a wake he wakes up very early so we need to be out around six so that keeps me moving around six and being like outside getting the natural light which right now with the weather is great yeah um so trying to put more intention on that like not not taking my phone with me trying to like do some of the breathing outside and the movement and the walking and getting the intentions um out there like instead of doing it 
of just like seating uh, the type. The yeah, especially now in the summer in D.C., this is the good time, summer, fall, spring. This is a great time to get outside. Yes. I agree, you know, doing some of that. I do some Qigong and you know, different things like that. But I think the poncho uh, routine is like a great built-in routine. You get outside <laughs> in the morning, you connect yes. with nature. There's no way to skip it. You can't <laughs> skip it, right? No. What happens if you, uh, well, I guess you wouldn't try to skip it, but he would let you know, I guess? Or? Oh, yes, yes. Okay. He'll, he's really, really <laughs> good. He's ready to go. Yes. What book or a podcast are you enjoying the most right now? Yes, yeah, so I've been doing, I've been reading both um, The Four Day Win and The um, Transforming Trauma. So The Four Day Win that I talked a little bit about, um, just like this, trying to see like the psychology of eating and trying um, to work with like behavior change and how to get people uh, that that part of like we know what we need to eat and we know what we that we need to exercise and what we need to do but why we don't do it a lot of the times so just trying to understand that and um it gives a lot of i like that book i haven't finished but um it gives a lot of like interactive things so you need to write things down and it makes you um, do things along the way which is very interesting if anyone wants to read it and of course transforming trauma that has been great for Mm -hmm. transforming trauma by dr james gordon friend of ours Mm -hmm. here uh, amazing uh, pioneering integrative and holistic psychiatrist and mm-hmm. he writes a lot on trauma has been doing a lot internationally and the book the four day win is by who? martha beck martha beck okay mm-hmm. you'll have to send me the link i'd love yes. to check that out thank you uh great and uh well you are a integrative functional nutritionist and practitioner so what is your favorite meal to make oh that's a that's a really good question so i love peruvian food so definitely like um ceviche is my go to mm, yeah. like Sounds here I, there's it's harder to like get like fresh fish and things but mm-hmm. um that's definitely my go-to i love ceviche, ceviche. okay mm-hmm. great uh, yeah there's a couple of peruvian restaurants around here i'm not sure if they have ceviche but it probably isn't as good as lima or <laughs> yeah. anything um, and um what is your favorite thing to do uh, every day to cultivate joy i, I suppose a uh, poncho is there yes, uh, yes. definitely so right now, well, I did horseback riding most of my life, so that was definitely one of the activities that I um, enjoyed the most. But here, um, just the, the fact of like sharing, um, being in nature with Pancho, that really like makes my day. Mm-hmm. Like, really, I enjoy it a lot. Great. So, what are your top three tips? Let's say to think about stress and and how that affects gut health, and what what can people do to take away you know from this conversation today about you know how to manage that stress and and help their gut health. Yes, I would I would say um, as a takeaway from the conversation today, definitely being more mindful around food would be the most important. I know that stress can um, affect like if you're if you feel like you have any gut issues that haven't been able to resolve, we need to take into consideration stress. So taking deep breaths is sort of like the easiest way. It's um, free, uh, doesn't take a lot of time and everyone can do it. So taking a couple of like deep breaths a day or like a couple times per day so that it can help like being mindful around food and just like take yeah but those, those would be my two takeaways and okay. of course like exercise and movement can also help for balancing the nervous system yes to connect that mind body back yes thank you so much Araceli, for joining us love to have you back we'll discuss some functional testing i think at yes, some point that would be, be really great. amazing and if you joined this conversation please take a moment to leave us a review it helps our podcast reach more listeners and thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today thank and you so much dr wong thanks Araceli. thank you <laughs>